not sure what you guys have been doing, but for me, I've been just continuing to go over and over what we spoke about last week. I know last week, for me personally, was probably one of the most powerful weeks we've had. And um, just the reality of this word that creates the sight and the need to be able to hear, not for obedience as far as not for doing anything, but to be able to see first and then to live from that sight. And the doing comes out of that sight. But um, it's just awesome. And uh, maybe we say, hi, everyone uh, that's joining us uh, from uh, our family. Uh, if you're tuning in from Wellington or around the nation um, or just around the globe, hope you're staying safe. But uh, we're going to be continuing today on this whole aspect of looking at faith and faith that sees. And, uh, you know, when we decided to do faith, this was probably one of the things that excited me the most to look at this woman because uh, twice we know the Bible says great faith, and both times it's not related to anybody from Israel, um, but a centurion and a woman who's, uh, the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us was from Canaanite and also a sinner. And I think this reality just stumps us a little bit, because how can people who weren't of a certain bloodline have great faith? And so we're going to unpack that this morning and really dive into that. So I've been really looking forward to this because God spoke to me some time about this lady um, when I was in a cafe. And so I'm quite excited to just release some of the things that I know that are in him, and I'm sure you guys are as well. But just going to ask Mel to pray first, and uh, we'll get into it. Awesome. Father, we, we thank you that it is by your word that um, the world was created, and it's by your word that your new creation that you call us um, is built up by what you have to say about us. And we just thank you, God, that your word penetrates and your word goes to work in those who will hear and believe. Um, so, Father, we just thank you that uh, we get to share in your word. I thank you that you have made yourself available to us, that you are the Father who is wide open to his children. And so, Father, we just we come this morning to receive from you. We thank you that you are the ultimate teacher, and we love to learn from you, Father. We love your word. We, we, we love your spirit, and we just count it a, just a privilege and such a pleasure uh, to receive from you this morning. So I pray for every heart open, wide open to, to receive, that the eyes of the hearts will be open to see and the ears to, uh, open to, to hear what you're truly saying, the acoustic word that comes straight from the mouth of our Father. We love you, and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Mel. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew 15, verse 21 to 28. And so I'm um, just going to read and go through this, and then we're going to unpack um, line by line. I'm just saying to the guys before, if we've got other scriptures uh, that we want to tune into, we will. But uh, Matthew 15, verse 21, it's about the Syrophoenician woman. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, 
It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. And there's just so many dynamics going on here, you know, um, and that's what we want to unpack, the richness of what is in this um, from Jesus' perspective, from the disciples' perspective, from the woman's perspective. Um, and, you know, she's a child of promise, and, and that's what I love about this is what I unpack and have, uh, we are called to be children of promise. We're called to be children who live by faith. Paul said, I no longer live. The life I live, I live by faith. In Jesus Christ, meaning I live by the knowledge that I have in Jesus and everything within Jesus. I live my by my ability to see in the Spirit, hear in the Spirit, receive in the Spirit, access what is in the Spirit, because I'm living from a spiritual reality here on earth. And so this woman is a woman of promise. And uh, I want us just to continue to think about that and remind ourselves of that because we are children of promise. And so what is the promise that we're children of? And how do children of promise live while they're here on the earth, knowing that earth isn't our home? Earth is the place we serve. Earth is the place where we reach out to others and share and testify of this person called Jesus we know. Um, And so, you know, what does it mean to be a child of promise? And how do children of promise live? Well, apparently they live by great faith. Not little faith, but great faith. Um, and so we're just going to go through um, from verse by verse, and um, we'll just see how we go. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And Chris, question I want to start with you, mate, is how does mercy... Have mercy on me and faith. How are those things related or uh, what's the connection between the two? Great question. (laughs) Um, What I think there is that she has faith in his mercy. So she's approached him with a conviction that he's merciful. And I think that this plays out throughout the passage that she's not hoping in mercy because he, he pushes her back a few times, She's, she says, have mercy, and, and the disciples are trying to get rid of her, and he essentially pushes her back two or three times, but she has something which lays hold of the mercy that she sees is found in him, and so she is aggressively laying hold of it because she's not going to be dissuaded, and that for me is the measure of great faith. It wasn't that she turned up and asked for mercy and then all of a sudden he didn't give it, and so she went away. She pressed through to receive it, and so for me, she had faith in his mercy. Mm. For me, it looks like I was thinking about the um, the parable of the talents where you have one guy who, who has this belief that uh, his master is a hard man and the other two believe in... They, they love their master, you know, and so they each lived according to what it was that they truly believed. And, you know, so often when I read that, I go, oh, these two guys, they took their 
their talents and multiplied them. And it sounds really easy, but what anyone that's ever tried to multiply something in, in the world and in, in economics or whatever knows that there's a process. Sometimes you've got to go through some stuff to see the multiplication, you know. And so, so these, these two guys, they, they had conviction of their master's goodness and they pressed through some stuff to see the reward. And this one person believed a certain thing about the master that he was hard and they lived according to that as well. And so what I see is her living according to what it is that she believes or has faith in. That's good. Any other thoughts from you guys? Um, yeah, I thought it's, it's massive. Eh? And, and, and to me, even, you know, she cries out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. You know, and I think you're talking about the connection between mercy and great faith. And to me, you know, like even the, if, if we think about faith as the, the capacity to be able to see what's unseen, we, re, we need to enter, in, you know, it's not a natural human ability that to be able to see into the unseen. And so we are so dependent on his mercy to be able to bring us into the spiritual realm where we can see the things of the spirit and know the God who is spirit, you know. And so to me, that, that, that the biggest, or the biggest key there is that, you know, um, she didn't enter into this through her own ability. Yeah. There was actually no natural qualification that could get her in. It was only his, his mercy, his choosing of, of her to open her eyes mm. to the things that are in the unseen realm, you know, and to me, that's, that's such a key thing for us, you know, because how do we enter into this, you know? It's not by approving ourselves to God. It's not by our works. It's not by our function. It's not on any natural qualification. It's based on his mercy and his goodness towards us to be able to open up the eyes of our heart to be able to see. You know, it says that we were dead in sin and, and you know, um, darkened out, you know, darkened in our understanding you know and so we need by his mercy to have our eyes open to everything that's available in him you know and i think what's fascinating and and there's just to me there's just so many tensions going on here because she obviously has something that no one even jesus to a point doesn't know she has till she opens her mouth and we'll get to this because there's a time where she says something that then grabs his attention. Mm. So she actually walks into a room full of faith. So she's the one that knows she has great faith, but Jesus doesn't yet know. The disciples don't yet know, but she knows. And I've been thinking about this as how it's connected to mercy. So she approaches him in a way that's his way because she has great sight. Yeah. And, um, you know, it says, in view of God's mercy, lay your life down. Mm. And further on, it says she came and she bowed before him. Yeah. And so she's appropriating the way of the kingdom mm. because she knows it because of the great faith she has. And so this whole aspect of I actually know who you are. I know who I am, and then I know how to access this thing. So it says, in view of God's mercy, offer your body, lay your body down. And she's actually going through physically the spiritual way. Yeah. And then, as we know, she's able to then access something because of this reality. And she goes like, because she, she in her head, she's going, you know, I'm a Canaanite, I'm a dog. I know I'm a dog from the, phys from the physical Okay? I know I'm a woman, 
so much he is against me. Yeah. He doesn't, Jesus, if you look at Mark, Jesus doesn't even want anyone to know he's there. Yeah. The disciples are telling her, go away. Love, eh? She's annoying us. <laughs> yeah. Would she go away? Everything's against her, but she knows something. And that thing she knows and who she knows and who she knows herself to be is what positions her in a way that actually is going to receive what she's been looking for and asking for. Yeah. She's very wise. This, she's incredibly wise because of the sight she has. Yeah. And so this mercy, she knows I'm coming into a room and I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. There's nothing about me and the physical that's supposed to be in this room. I'm talking to a man. Yeah. I'm who I am. He's an Israelite. He's telling me I'm only here for the lost tribe of Israel. Well, actually, that's not me physically. Yeah. But what is it spiritually? That's and so this positioning of laying, bowing down, coming down because of the mercy. Yeah. So she's appealing to him to his own way. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. I love that because it's, it's not of because of who she was, but because of who he is that she recognized and that yeah. caused her to approach him, yeah. that she, yeah, the faith gave her um, the, you know, the eyes to see him as he is, yeah. not in the physical, but but because um, thinking about him um, coming, you know, coming and then speak, talking of himself as the Messiah the idea around the Messiah was to come and conquer and, you know, be a certain way of a, a certain kind. And yet she sees him for who he actually is and recognizes him. And so her approach to him, even calling him son of David, yeah. you know, she recognized him as the Messiah, son of David, um, have mercy on me. So in her approach and then also in her response, you can see that she's empowered by faith, mm. you know, um, and it's I love that because I think faith so often for the believer it does and it enables us regardless of circumstantially what we should be. Mm. That's where we're not being conformed by the world's thinking or um, what others might think, mm. but but we are being informed by the Spirit and it enables us to respond in situations and in ways that would be quite surprising circumstantially to to those around, you know. It's also interesting, like you said, Mel, that she says son of David. Mm. I mean, realistically, what's that got to do with the Canaanite woman? Mm. She's not really looking for a Messiah, is she, from Canaan? You know, is, I don't think that there was a Messiah promised to the Canaanites. And it's not a, well, it's not a physical thing, right? Because, you know, like... You know, Jesus was not physically David's son, although he did come from that physical lineage. He was, you know, Joseph's son, right? Yeah. But she recognizes the divine lineage that he was from, yeah. you know. Which even his own people didn't. That's right. So who does, what's the question he asks? Who do they say the son of, uh, let me find it. Oh, no, Mark 12. Um, this, this is fascinating. Let me just read you this. Mark twelve thirty five, And Jesus began to say as he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, 
the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath my feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? She has a knowledge that David had that they didn't. And she addresses him as this because it's not just about her knowing who he is. She knows who she is. And that's the beauty of the two becoming one. It's not just enough to know who he is. It's enough. You need to know who you are because she's a child of promise. And because of that, I love that. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Uh, The Lord. How did David call David called him Lord? So she's in the same knowledge. Why? Because David was a man of faith. She has great faith. So there's oneness between her and David, even though. She's a Canaanite because as we're going to look at, it's not based on physical law. This life that we've been called to come into, this faith, I think you said it, it's not based on a physical law. It's based on the power of an indestructible life in a person. So if we know the person, then we know who we are. And this is the two becoming one and, and the tension of oneness is like, how long have I been with you and you still don't know me? That's because you don't know me. You don't know who you are. But the power of knowing who he is and knowing who you are and then activating and accessing and then possessing the very thing because you know who you are. And yet this mercy thing, you know, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And I think this whole thing about knowing about him and knowing him. You know, and we've talked a lot about that over the years, and we continue to talk because it's such a difference. Great faith is great knowledge. You don't know about him, you know him. Yeah. You know, that Gnosko knowledge. You know not just him, but you know everything within him. And so as a child of his, just like my father, I knew my father, I knew what I could access in my father. So I would go to my father knowing that in going to my father, I could access what my father had. And that's what I see here. I see a a daughter of the living king going to her father and able to access something in the father, but it's only right at the end. And it's almost like catch up, boys. You know? And I remember, and we'll get to this later, but I remember even Jesus showing me this in the cafe, is that when she says certain words, and I saw this in an image, I just saw, saw him and her, and I saw him turn and look at her because there's something that came out of her mouth that he recognized. How does it come? Faith comes from hearing. It's almost like when Christ heard. Yeah, It's interesting because he says, so, you know, one of the things that we talked about the other week was um, this line of authority, which is not stepping out of what's being spoken from the Father. You're sent to do what it is that he's spoken. And so he says, I haven't been sent except to. And he gives this, you know, and there's a couple of ways of looking at that. One of them is she is of this family because she's like, I, I am your kind. The other one is that this is uh, one of my thoughts around this is that she also doesn't step out of what it is that he's been instructed to do. So she's not overruling anything. She doesn't bounce back. She doesn't rebut. Don't you know who I am? I'm this person. She, she falls into line with what it is that's been spoken to him 
and still moves in his goodness and goes, there is so much in you that I'm happy to take from the overflow and the overflow is more than enough. And so I will take from what is left over because you're so abundant that this will satisfy me. And I just think, I think that's so powerful because she doesn't try to derail him, try to get him to do a special mission for her because she's special and she's a person of faith and she actually is. She says, in a way she's saying, even with what it is that you've been sent to do, there's more than enough for me. I can I can take from the abundance. Yeah. Yeah. It's massive, eh? yeah. I find it interesting what, what Jesus says here. He doesn't say, get away from me, um, my promises aren't for you, you know? Yeah. He says to her, I was only sent for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's to me, it's almost like, it's almost like a test. You know, it's like this, this statement is like perfectly calculated to, to bring out, you know, like what it was to draw out what it was inside of her, whether he knew that or not. You know, he's saying maybe he didn't. Maybe he, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure if he did or he didn't, but that statement certainly brought that to light, right? You know, that she, that while physically she didn't fit the bill of being part of this this people group, she knew something about who he was, what he was sent for, and who she was that had her responding in this particular way. And see, this is this is the this is the beauty of this. There's so much in here than just about a woman who got a, her daughter healed, you know. And like you were saying, Chris, so. How do you live within the laws of the physical, the natural, yeah. and the laws of the spiritual all at the same time? Yeah. She's doing it. She this tension between, we talked about last week, how does David and his men access the bread of presence, yeah. the consecrated bread, where to access and partake of which they should have been killed, yeah. and it's all good? Yeah. Like, how do you do this? Yeah. How do we live within the realm of the natural, but actually live in the realm of the spiritual and have the spiritual trump really the natural, but still know how to honor the natural? How does Jesus know how to honor his mum and dad in the natural, but really still honor his father in the spiritual? Because it's a position of oneness. And that's what she's accessing. I love what you said. In the natural, she shouldn't be there. There's all these things. So she's actually working, knowing there's the natural order of everything, but there's a something greater that she knows that she actually can access. Because, okay, I'm not sent only for the lost tribe of Israel. Cool. What does Ephesians 2 talk about? The commonwealth of Israel and the Gentile being grafted now into the commonwealth of Israel. So we could spend a long time talking about, well, what really then is Israel? Is it a landmass? Is it a people of bloodline? Well, it can't be because Jesus was not of a bloodline, even though he was of a bloodline of Israel. We know he was from another genealogy, no mother, no father, no mother. So there's this physical and spiritual dimension all operating, kingdom of God, kingdom of the world. So how do you operate in the kingdom of God while you live on the kingdom of the world? And this is what this is a beautiful picture of because she knows something. So if she knows that I'm a daughter of promise, well, where does the promise come from? Abraham. Well, who's the seed of Abraham? And what did Abraham know? And what is this one seed, not seeds? Because the two are becoming one. And so I take a Jew and I take a Gentile and I create the commonwealth of Israel and that we're grafted in. She knows this. Why? Because she has great faith. 
what is faith again? And we keep coming back to what faith is and what it's not. And we really have to understand what it's not so we can grasp really what it is. Because, you know, we can still think faith is this thing that we trust in God to do a work for us. You know, well, great faith is trusting in God, that God is who God says he is and and God can move on my behalf. Well, it's sort of partly, but not really. Great faith is my knowledge. Great faith is my knowledge to see in the unseen and live from that, knowing that God has done that, rather than me being empty, hoping, trusting God's going to get me through something. No, my great faith has me overcoming the something. You know, so she's overcoming obstacles. She's overcoming the natural. She's a woman. She's, she's filth. She is a dog. Like what do dogs? And she knows, but only the dogs. I can eat from the crumb. But who's the bread? <laughs> and how big's the mustard seed? So crumb, mustard seed of faith, great faith activates, makes mountains move. Maybe she got something because although she ate a crumb, Crumb was massive because yeah. it came from a whole loaf. Yes. And who's the whole loaf? Yep. These are, this, this is an incredible passage if you can't. I'm a little bit excited. <laughs> um, I, um, I read this, this one I just, as I was meditating on the passage. This is in Galatians, and he says, this is right at the end of the book. Um, and he's almost like summing up every, this Paul summing up everything. He says, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. He says this, and those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. You know? And to me, this is like, you can see those, the, the same, you know, the same things intertwined throughout here. You know, it's, it's no longer about for Abraham, it's no longer about your physical circumcision. It's about the circumcision of the heart, you know. Um, it's like, you know, peace and, and mercy be upon those who live in the spiritual way, you know, because these are the true Israel of God. Those, some of which may be physically circumcised from the physical bloodline, some of which might not be physically, but are participants in the same covenant yeah. of spiritual circumcision, which is no longer about any earthly thing but about a work that's being done in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, eh? You know? um, there's a passage in Proverbs that says, um, there's much bread in the uncultivated land of the poor, and for lack of justice there's waste. And for me it's such a powerful passage, I always go back to it, but it just for me it talks about the heart of God, that what is the overflow wouldn't go to waste. You know, the justice of God, we think it's deciding right from wrong, but the justice of God is the delegation of everything to its rightful place. And, you know, you see the loaves and the fishes, and they get multiplied and there's baskets left over, but God doesn't let it go to waste. And so his heart is that nothing would fall to the ground and not be eaten up. You know what I mean? And you see it in nature. You know, you see a tree falls in the forest and there's, it feeds the bugs and there's this there's an ecosystem and i think we don't see a spiritual ecosystem where in god's economy everything has a place and you see this woman that goes i recognize myself as part in part of this physically at least to be eating from the crumbs under the table and this is the bit that just i love this because jesus was the ultimate 
uh, revolutionary. You know, he, he was the original campaigner for women's rights. He was the original campaigner for equality. All of these things. She goes, I recognize myself, at least physically, as being someone that's going to eat from the overflow from what's under the table. And he says, woman, your faith has made you whole. Or, or you know, be it done unto you as you believe. And so she says, I'm this. And he says, and I recognize you as this. And he totally sees her for who she is. And I just think that's so powerful that he hasn't gone, you're less. He says, no, you are who I see you as, right? And it was, it was her faith that activated him. Yeah. Because up until that point, you know, there's, there's this almighty shift when she says these words. Um, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Where before that, he, like Mark 7 says, he doesn't want, he doesn't want anyone to know he's even there. And then when she speaks to him, I mean, how's this for love? You know, Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon possessed, but he did not answer her a word. Now, if you don't know what's going on, you know, and we can be like this, hey, we, 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 oh my goodness, the need. Yeah. But Jesus, Jesus never moved from what he what he saw. He was moved because he was sent, yeah. and he 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 responded to things he was sent to respond to, not just any need. Yeah. And so we need to once understand this. This is the depth in the kingdom that you, know, you can be running around doing a whole lot of works because you see needs, and he's going, but I haven't sent you to any of those things. Yeah. But, you know, so she comes and she says, man, my, my daughter, you know, she's demon-possessed. Doesn't say anything. Yeah. And it's not till she actually says these words, yes, Lord, but, <sighs> that he speaks. Yeah. And so this activates even him. But we know he knows things, but it's just, uh, that's what I found fascinating. And this is this partnership we have with him. This is this oneness. This is this co-airing with him. Yeah. That it's not just all about Jesus and we're just this little person somewhere, you know, that just sort of, and it's not this other way around where we're the ones and Jesus. It's this beautiful picture of alignment, this husband and a wife picture again, mm-hmm. where the two are becoming one. And it's not that even Jesus is in front of us. He's side by side, like a picture of a covenant. The husband is not ahead of the wife, and the wife is not ahead of the husband. But in some functioning roles, sure, but not in nature, not in character, not in, not in heart being a mindset. It's just purely in value. It's just in a, in a function. And so this, this aspect that he looks for people, that know what he knows. He looks for people. Son, I mean, we're called to be ministers of his kingdom. We're called to be ambassadors. We're children of promise. We're supposed to be reigning here on earth, knowing we're going to reign in another dimension with him. Well, if we don't learn that now, we won't be administering it there in the age to come because we haven't learned what we're supposed to have learned now. We didn't know who we were. We didn't know who he is. Well, he's just saved us so we don't go to hell, isn't it? No. This whole kingdom dimension message that is coming through here that is built on faith, great faith. It's probably why it's one of the, the tight three, faith, hope, and love, because faith, I think we've talked about this, is the, is the currency that enables you to access 
this realm, just like money in the natural. It enables you to access things. If you don't have money, you can't access things. Well, if you don't have faith, you can't access, but she is. And they're actually just such a beautiful example of co-laboring. Actually, the woman in Christ right there, they co- mm. aren't they? They're co-laboring. And you can, it's this, you know, sort of a bit of a beautiful dance in a way of co-laboring, but, but actually teaching the disciples something, right? It's, it's, and as a, as his people, that's what we are called to, as you say, co, co-laboring. But again, what I love about her is that you know, that, that she can so freely be like, yes, but even if I am like a little dog, even if I am a little dog, like she, she's actually so free and okay in saying it because she knows who she is and her value in him. Um, I was, uh, I had a little laugh the other day. I was thinking about how, um, I ran into someone, uh, a while ago and they were introducing me to someone and they said, Oh, this is, this is Mel. Kirk Byer's wife, you know, like Kirk Byer was like this emphasis on Kirk Byer and, and me being, hey, you know yeah, that's right. And the guy probably didn't even really hear my name. He just heard Kirk Byer. Um, and we, and me and Kirk have a bit of a laugh of it. But, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, as the church and as the wife of your beloved husband, you, you're actually so happy to be hidden. In him, that if he was to be exalted or to be mm. mentioned or on the forefront, you're so yoked and empowered by that joint life mm. that you're happy to be hidden in. Do you know what I mean? You could be known as just the wife, but it's the wife of, yeah. you know, and I love this about her because her position, even though it's low, seems lowly in the physical, She's highly placed, sure. you know what I mean? Sure. Alongside on his right side, sure. you know, and that's what he's looking for is this, these people that by faith know who he is and yearn and, um, just so appreciate. And I think that's where mercy comes from that by mercy, we are marked and chosen, not because of who we are, but actually because of who he is, but what he makes us, you know, by sure. faith. Um, is, is, yeah, this co-joining, co-airing that your life comes from this person, you yeah. know? And seeing, seeing that reality, I have who, like she, she, like you say, she knows who she is physically. Yes. Yeah. She knows the life she's lived physically. So this reality of knowing the state that you truly are yeah. from the old and then knowing who he is and who he's made, wanting you to be. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Is she not accessing kingdom resource right here? Why? Because she's poor in spirit. You know, she's not proud. Her whole physical reality, how could you be proud in, you know, in this? It's like, no, no, she's got a good handle, a little bit like the woman out of Luke 7. She knows her physical lifestyle. She knows the life that she has lived. But she also has something else, and she knows that doesn't disqualify her. Yeah. That's the beauty of knowing who you were pre-Christ, yeah. knowing how far away you were from Christ, how bad or good you were physically. It's irrelevant. Yeah. You know what you did or didn't do. But I know, and I know my own experience, 
the things that I tried to do, the things that I, the way I was living mm. actually helped me see my true fallen state. Yeah. Because when it all comes crashing down, you realize that, yeah, my nature is not good. No one is good. Yeah. So even though it's not about what you do or don't do, in some of the doing of the things that maybe are lower than what other people do, mm. you can get a revelation of actually your absolute need, mercy. In view of God's mercy, lay it down. Oh, my goodness. In view of who I was and how I lived, you still love me? Mm. Yes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And like we've talked about before and last week, you can be broken physically and still be poor in spirit. You can have nothing and still be, um, sorry, not poor in spirit, proud in spirit. You can be the most proudful person emotionally too. It's not about physical brokenness, emotional. It's spiritual brokenness. And then this empowers this qualification through Christ to access stuff, even though, like you're saying, like she's still a dog. That hasn't changed in the eyes of those. That's why the disciples don't want her in the room. Who's this? What are you doing here? (laughs) There's no sight Because as we know through the gospels Jesus says to them You guys have little faith You have no faith Do you still don't know who I am You ask me to increase your faith When I say faith comes from hearing Mm. Why you ask me to increase your faith When if you heard what I said Mm. You'd have faith Oh you can't hear Mm. Because you haven't yet been brought into the things of the spirit But this woman has she knows, and I want us to, as we go through it, look at Romans, because there's a passage in Romans and Galatians which is profound into who she really is. I was, I was just going to say, you know, like what you're saying about, about mercy and how this is what empowers her to live like this. And I just think, you know, if, if she wasn't living from, from faith and seeing in this particular way and, you know, living from this position of mercy, this whole situation is going to go down so differently, eh? You know, like there's, it's almost like there's, there's two other alternatives, you know? It's like, you know, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You calling me a dog, you know? Or, um, you know, and that's, that's the position of, of insecurity, eh? Which is one side of the flesh or, you know, on, on the other side, oh, excuse me. I'm not a dog. I'm a child of the promise. You know, there's, there's, you know, one is insecure, the other's proud, but she's neither of those things. You know, she's able to come under and, and be honest and realistic about her physical state and, and her physical position, but have a, yet a deep knowledge of the mercy of God and who she is spiritually. So she's not in denial, you know, but, but she's not on, on the same hand exalting herself beyond who, you know, who he said that she is. She's got a true, accurate perspective of who she is and who he is. And to yeah. me, that's a deep humility that she's come into, you know. That's right. And her, her faith, sorry, her faith not only postures, postures her before him, you know, when, when it says that he, she um, was worshipping him, which I love because it was um, – you know, after he ignores her at first and then says, I wasn't sent, you know, I, I, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She worships him anyway, right? I love that. And the thing about faith as well is when it, when, when we receive it, it's not just by our language, but it's by how we live. It's our actions, right? And so she, this is a living faith. This is, this is faith working. 
uh, through a person that you can see by their action, by their words, there's integrity. It's, it's, it's of one. It's not just, I call you Lord, but I live. Yeah. Her very being. Right? Her very being. Yep. Is, is, you can see is that, that's what so, she's. I was thinking about that as well. That's, that's uh, an interesting direction to go in that she didn't turn up and something happened and then she got faith. Yeah. What was happening in her life beforehand? Mm. She turned up in faith. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She she was like great faith wasn't just all about a moment. And like we said last week when we were talking about these soldiers that were heroic in a moment, they were already heroes. This was the moment of manifestation of heroism. Um, the other thing that I find quite interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, the the other instance of great faith, which is the centurion, him, he and she are both stepping into laying hold of something on behalf of someone else. Mm. And so you see the disciples, all they care about is that she's annoying them. They're all about self. These, This woman who's turned up and is pressing in to lay hold of something is there on behalf of someone else. Mm. She's being insulted for someone else. And she still turns up, lays hold of the promise to see it outworked in someone. There's actually nothing in it for her. Mm. You know what I mean? Now, there's a, there's a physical tie there. It's her daughter. And same with the centurion. Most people wouldn't even put up with that for themselves, let alone someone else. The disciples aren't putting up with it for themselves. She's, she's pressed through something, which to me is the, this refining process of the faith, which reveals the faith. She turns up, she gets butted back a few times, and it's still there. It, it, it's, it's not going away, yeah. Yeah. and it's for someone else. And for me, that's the love element to this faith. That's such a good point. Such a good point. It's so hard as you're talking, man. I'm like, I'm getting downloads, and I'm like, just trying to like, just go. How, tangents. Yeah, like, oh, no, not tangents. Just everything you're saying, and my insides is pinging all over the place. It's like. Because you, and you just said it, you know, it's like lay your lives down. You'll know them by, you'll know my disciples by the way they lay their lives down for others. So she's, she's being persecuted by the disciples, other people, for someone else. Yeah. Isn't that what great faith will do? Yeah. And as we said, it's like she walks into the room in faith. Yeah. The centurion walks into it with faith. And this is what I mean between knowing what faith is and what it isn't. Yeah. It's she's gone in there fully loaded, yeah. full overflowing, knowing how to access, not trust, yeah. not empty. She's gone in full. You know, this is the problem. We, we approach things half empty, yeah. little, next to nothing. And so then we ask, increase. No, no, she's the opposite. This is, this is what this life is. In crisis to be full and overflowing. Now, there's a time and there's a process, but if we've been in Christ, if we're in Christ, not with Christianity, in Christ, we have to be growing in this faith because blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. So there's the promise for all those who are poor in spirit, the kingdom. Repent because the kingdom is at hand. So poor in spirit, in spirit, poor in Spirit, there's a type of faith which is of a type of spirit. Remember, we looked at that two or three weeks ago. Peter's going, this is a kind of faith. 
It's a kind of the same faith as it's written. Okay, so let's go back. What type of type of great faith was this woman in? Faith is the as is written. Faith is the assurance of what you hope for. What's she hoping for? Her daughter's healing. It is a conviction of the unseen, which she sees. So she has this great faith as it is written, and her life, poor in spirit, which she knows, is able to access healing in the kingdom, which is noted for the centurion because that's about authority. He has, he understands how this works. Why? Because he's great faith. He sees. So what does it look like to have great faith in the kingdom? If you think about all the elements or aspects of life, what does having children look like with great faith? What does being married look like with great faith? What does finance? Every aspect of life, what does it look like through the lens of great faith? Well, then you'll be able to live a life of great faith, which is what Jesus lived, which is what we're called to live because we're sons of the promise. So she's a testimony. She's an absolute testimony to us of what a life in Christ looks like. And it's full. She's full. She's not coming in there half empty. She's not begging. As he says, she knows how to access. She knows because it's a narrow gate, isn't it? It's a narrow door. So in the spirit, she can see it. She she knows how to actually almost a bit like play the game to get what she needs. She's working within the rules, the kingdom, and she accesses. And so with every beatitude, there's a promise. Every single beatitude has, there's nine beatitudes and there are nine promises. Well, how do I access those? Through faith. And she's in it. And yet, like you said, mate, lay your life down for someone else. Okay, it reminds me of the guys that lowered their friend. Yep. Your faith has made him well. <laughs> Not his faith. Yeah, yeah. Your faith. What did they do? Ripped up the roof. Why? Because they could see. They had an assurance that this guy in this can heal our buddy. Right, let's go to work, boys. Lowered him. It's To me, it's like reverse engineering something, right? You know, if you knew that this guy in this room was going to heal your friend, what would you do to get your friend there? And and if you haven't got faith, you don't live like that. But these guys saw that, reverse engineered it, and made it happen because they knew that getting their guy into that room was going to see him healed. And they live like that. And for me, I just go, you know, how many of us have turned up to a healing meeting or whatever it is, didn't get prayed for, didn't get the prophecy we want, oh, well, maybe next time and walked away. That's not faith. You know what I mean? Like whatever, whatever it is that, that, however you choose to frame it, whatever it is that's of faith is turning up and getting what it wants because it's already seen it. And and I say getting what it wants. I'm not no, talking the faith gospel. Yeah. We're we're going. I've seen it, and I'm working backwards from this reality, which is it's happening. Now I just need to get there. Yeah. And it's an that what you're describing is entirely different to uh, certainly what I've grown up hearing preached about what faith is, right? You know, which is almost like this blind belief where you, you really hope something's going to happen and you're trying to like hang your head on it, but you're not quite sure. And you know, it's, it's 
totally opposite, right? You know, it's, it's secure. It's steadfast. It's something that's, that's real and tangible that you've seen and experienced and can now have confidence in. It's not a wishy washy, you know. That's right. I so, mean, what, what does the word conviction mean? Yeah, that's right. You know. If I'm convicted, faith has a conviction of the unseen, but it sees the unseen. Yeah. So if, if I was to say to you guys, when you get home, there's $10 million in your, in your letterbox right now. See you later. We're going. <laughs> well, you would. You'd go now. So no one could take it out of your letterbox, wouldn't you? Well, it depends who <laughs> would be saying it, though. Would you go? Okay. You know? but, but imagine, because you know what your life – it's going to change. You, you know, okay, and you would actually start right now living differently. Mm. So you would, because you've accessed, you know it's there, mm. okay? So like you said, that's how we are to come to this thing. You know, yeah. not I hope. Yeah. You know. So even though it says faith is the, is the hope of the, of the assurance of what you hope for, it's not a wishy-washy hope because I know it's there. She knows. So then the prayer, that the woman that goes before the judge the prayer of the man who's, they know, I know that you have things that I can access. And as you say, it's all in an alignment to his will. It's not prosperity. It's an alignment. But you know. So you know how to posture and position yourself to receive. It's not like, well, I'm going to demand this thing. It's like, Lord, it's in you. Your will be done. But I am here knowing your will. And he goes, I like this yeah. child. This yeah. is, this is faith. This is great faith. This is, you know, and it's like, we have to grow obviously in this faith, yeah. you know, but it's, it's, it's a position of strength. Yeah. It's a position of power. It's yeah. not this begging. Yeah. She's not begging and here. It's know? not superimposing what it is that she wants on God's will, which to me is a massive point of difference. So she turns up and she says, Lord, Son of David, mercy. So she knows who he is, and she has absolute confidence in who it is that he is based on his mercy. So she doesn't go, I want the latest chariot, because they didn't have cars in those days. <laughs> Give me the latest chariot. Donkey. I'm, your donkey. I'm going to keep believing for it, and I'm going to keep and mustering something up. She goes, I've already seen your goodness. I'm absolutely convinced of it. I'm assured of it, and I'm living from that backwards. Which is rest. Which is rest. And so, you know, one of the, the thoughts that I had around that is, I mean, everyone's done English at school, you know, and the English teacher breaks down this great book. And they say, this is a metaphor and this is a simile. And, and they, they break it down. And for me, I go, I don't, I don't know that the author, when they wrote that, went, I need a simile here or I need a metaphor here. They wrote from what was in them because they were, they had seen this thing. And, and this is the best way to explain this. And, and we, we can break it down. And I see that this woman who is living in so many aspects of what it is that is written might not have even known what was written, but she knew what she had seen and it was true sight. And so she lived from it without it even being written. Like, he, Romans hadn't been written for her yet, you know? It had been spoken. It had been spoken, you know what I mean? But she didn't go, okay, in view of God's mercy, present myself a living sacrifice. It hadn't been written yet. She goes, I know what it is that I've seen, and I'm going for it, and if it costs me, I'm of that kind. I'm going to go and get what it is that's being already given. And isn't that what Romans says, you know, if, you know, like it talks about who the true Jew is, you know, if, if you being 
a Gentile do instinctively the things that the Jews do in the law without having the law yourself, yeah. you prove that the law that you you know that that the law is written on your heart, you know. And so to me, like that, that's what you're describing, right? You know, it's this innate, organic expression of life because of what you've seen and what you know, you know. And we're back to once again. I mean, everything just comes back to. The, him in itself again, because, and that's why I said it's spoken. Yeah, you know, in the beginning, we looked last week. God spoke, yeah. and there was life. So once again, if I take the book away, can you hear it? Because it's a hearing. Faith comes through hearing the word, not faith comes through reading what's written down on ink. Yeah. And then the what's what's written is a spoken written reality of the spirit you know it's it's not just it got written down on ink and that's what we're living from that's what they were that's why they missed him you know you you say you're of moses but you don't really keep the law why are you trying to kill me you say you're of moses moses wrote about me so you're not in the spirit of what he wrote because it's first spoken so how can you have faith if you can't hear you can't get faith through reading but that's that's what we're talking about. That's that weakness. I read, I try to understand in my mind, but I'm lacking faith. I have to hear when it's declared via the Spirit. It's a spiritual word out of a spiritual being who's in that spiritual word. You know. Now, the Holy Spirit can take, this is spoken before it's written. It, the written is the second, isn't it? This was a spoken reality, received the way of the Spirit, then it got written down. And we're trying to access life and faith through what's written. We're missing number one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word spoke himself. And into being came creation, you know. But she is in in the beginning. She's in the beginning position. And when you're in the beginning position, and you grow in the beginning position, you have great faith. Yeah. We're all supposed to have great faith. Yeah. It's not for she's she's not an apostle, she's not a prophet, she's not a pastor, teacher, evangelist. She's a dog. Yeah. Some dogs are more intelligent than some people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was just thinking about so she's a great example, and then we've got. In the Old Testament, you know, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. I mean, there's a couple of things I want to say there. One is that the disciples are basically behaving like Pharisees in the moment. You know what I mean? That 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 they don't recognize what it is that's coming. And, you know, Jesus said this thing to the Pharisees. He said um, there were many widows in the days of the famine, and Eli- Elijah was only sent to the widow of such and such a place. There were many lepers in the days of, and only Naaman the Syrian was healed. And you see these people that aren't of the lineage, that that didn't know what was necessarily written, but they were living in accordance to a substance, to a reality that they stepped in. And, you know, how great is the love of Christ that he's, you know, that it says that the, the Pharisees perceived that he was speaking this against them. Whether he was or not, I believe he was speaking it for them. Do you know what I mean? Because he wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so he's speaking this reality in the hope that they will recognize that it's not of a physical lineage. It's not because of who your, 
your earthly father was. It's because of who's your spiritual father is, right? Which is who these these people were children of, Abraham, father of faith. And so his kind is turning up all over the show. And so these guys had something that came from their father. And the widow is the same. She's got something from, she's got something which is of Abraham's seed, this kind of faith that isn't bound by the lineage. And then the disciples turn up and, and, haven't seen it, you know, so it's kind of interesting there, but I just love how Christ is continually walking with these guys, speaking with them, well, they're Pharisees, and he's okay with it. Yeah, and I just want to add to that point, because it's interesting in verse 21, um, oh, sorry, verse 22, where it says the woman of Canaan came from that region, and that came from is different to verse 23, where um, it talks about the G- the disciples came and urged him. It's two different came's, and the first one is that is the sense that the woman was sense, and I I think it's interesting that she's the woman of Canaan, and that was you know Abraham was sent right. to find the land of Canaan, right, yeah. the promised land, and yeah. so there she is. And I it, again, I think it's Very because good. she's born from that unseen reality she's actually sent from that unseen reality into the physical to speak of the unseen and to demonstrate it um she's she's actually sent for it you know and i love that because how often is it we can open the word and then of course we put ourselves as the disciple or as jesus but you know it's like (laughs) well actually we're missing it like you know it's easy to miss it because uh you know as physical physical people we we just position ourselves in the best physical position (laughs) there is in a story and it's like well actually no that kind of faith would you would resonate more with the kind of faith in in the person that's of that kind of faith and situation you know and that's the difference between the physical and the spiritual isn't it being born of a kind that's right which is really you talked on the pharisee spirit or the pharisee so we, we confuse a pharisee with a person a physical person rather than operating from the flesh. Yeah. There's only two things, flesh or spirit. So we would say we are covered by the blood where they weren't. But that doesn't mean you don't operate from the Pharisee spirit, which is the flesh. And I would, I would, uh, you, you know, you talked about, um, I think that the, the greater thing around what Jesus knew, because he knew, because Isaiah prophesied, although they hear, they will never hear. Yeah. They will see, they'll never see. So he's looking for his kind. My sheep hear my voice. I have not lost any that you have given me, which is the challenge for us like it was the challenge for them. They were never going to hear because Isaiah had prophesied they would never hear because they were not of his kind. They were father was who? The devil. So he was actually using, they were being used as an object lesson for his own disciples. That was their point for being there. He'd already foreseen, he'd already foreseen, you know, set it, mercy, wrath. So some have been chosen for wrath, some for glory. Okay, Isaiah went, these guys are never going to hear or see, understand anything. Otherwise they would turn, understand with their heart, and be healed. But they didn't. They were there for a very specific reason, and it was like, right, boys, now you're actually of their kind physically, but I'm going to cover you. I've called you for my kind. You're to hear my voice. At the moment, you're no different to them. 
you can't hear like they can't hear, but you have been predestined to hear because that's what he says to them. Blessed are you for your eyes see and your ears hear. But then he goes, can you still not hear or understand anything? No, not yet, but I don't. I know you're of my kind. I know you're of my sheep. You just can't hear me at the moment. You have no a little faith, but you're called to have great faith. Bingo. There was a crushing. There was an empowering. And then the man who had no faith writes faith and comes into, oh, my goodness, you are speaking life into me the whole time. Now I can write. Up to that point, I couldn't hear the spoken word that created faith. Until I came to the end of me, which is where we all have to go through to have this type of faith. Otherwise, you will have little or no. You may just have the fact that you know he's real. You know he saved you. You know you're going to heaven, which is awesome, but you can't access like this lady. You're not accessing the things in the kingdom. Blessed are you, poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Well, what about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? There's a reward. What about those who are sons? There's a reward. What about being persecuted for righteousness? There's a reward. So how much are we living and our lives define by this reality in so our lives are righteous acts? So when he returns, He'll find faith. And then with that, he goes, here's your reward, which is the reward is going to be him and our role in the age to come. But if we don't know like her and can't, not so like the disciples, and aren't able to access something that's right in front of us, because it's literally what we're saying is right in front of us, but it's coming from an unseen realm, which you have to hear. And so all of a sudden, it's like there's these two people groups. What kind? He came for his own kind, and his own kind are of the what? Spirit. Okay, You cannot enter this kingdom unless you are born of spirit. And then there's a faith of that same kind of spirit called a spirit of faith, which you then have to live by. But everything is love, joy. It's of a spiritual kind, a spiritual manner, isn't it? So as I access that and eat that eternal food, then guess what it's doing? It's forming itself in me, which means then I live from the faith in me. I can see it. Others can't. I can hear it. Can you hear? Can you hear it? Can you hear? You know, and then it's like, can you hear it? <laughs> and it's like, what? You know what we're go- what? No, what are you talking about? Or yeah, I think I do, and then I go live differently to what was said. And that's that beauty of discipleship. We go, hey, Chris, no, 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 come on. And then we go again, you know. But this tension that is between flesh and spirit. And, you know, Saul was predestined to be Paul. But he is an Israelite of the flesh, living as an Israelite of the flesh, opposite. And then, but God, boom. So then he becomes Paul, who actually who he was before the foundations of the earth, which we looked at at the well, and he's a classic. That's why he's the guy to look at. He's a classic of the Israelite of the flesh and the physical and an Israelite of the spirit. <laughs> you know, And yet there were going to be Israelites of the flesh that weren't going to be Paul's and those who Jesus addressed in John 8. And yet Gentiles also of the flesh that won't be of the spirit. So there's two people, isn't there? There's two Israelites and two Gentiles. There's the Israelite of the flesh and spirit, and there's the Gentile of the flesh and the spirit. 
and he wants to find the Israel of the uh, of the Spirit and the Gentile of the Spirit and bring them together and call them the Commonwealth of Israel. Who what? Know the promises of the Spirit because we're of Abraham's seed, which is Christ. It's good. I was going to say, and it, Lunch it's, it's thinking, it's, that that it was never supposed to be. I mean, Paul makes this point in Galatians eight. It was never the seeds. It was never the That's multiple. Right. It was there was always one seed that this people of faith would come from. You know, Jew, Gentile, irrelevant for the for, for this kind of seed that he's talking right. about. It maybe. We'll go read that, so just to back that. But have you got something yeah, comment now, mate? I um, just wanted to share about the Rechabites, which uh, which I feel like ties in really well with this. Greg and I were talking about this this week. Rechabites. The Rechabites. <laughs> so you know how everyone's an ite in the Old Testament. Well, the Rechabites were a, were a family named after a man called Rechab, who I believe was a priest. Um, and so it's in Jeremiah 35, and you can go and read the whole thing. I'm just going to sort of paraphrase it. It starts in, in uh, verse 1 of Jeremiah 35. So the Lord speaks to Jeremiah and he says, go and get the Rechabites, which is an extended family, basically from a grandfather down. Go and get them, call them into the house of the Lord and put wine in front of them and ask them to drink. And God's dealing with rebellious Israel at this time. And and so Jeremiah does this. He gets the Rechabites. They come into the house of the Lord and he puts drinks in front of them and goes, here, guys, this is for you. And they said, no, we're not going to drink it. And he's like, why wouldn't you drink it? And he says, and this is what they say. They say, we will drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, so that's their grandfather, commanded us saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these things, but all your days you shall dwell in tents that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. So they're talking about... They're talking about the promised land. They're living in the promised land. And their grandfather says to them, only live in tents in the land that you're temporarily living in. What a picture of an eternal promise. And this is, this is the amazing thing. So this goes to the next level for me when they're sitting there with Jeremiah and they say, but at the moment, we're living inside the walled cities because, because Nebuchadnezzar has besieged this area that we're living in. So for the sake of our lives, we're living in the cities, but our hearts aren't in the city. And we understand the spiritual reality, even though we're not doing to the letter what it was that we were instructed to do, we understand the heart behind it. So we're not drinking wine because we don't need to drink wine. This isn't a wine issue. This, But we can live freely in this city in this season and not be disobeying what it is that our Father told us to do because we realize that this promised land isn't our promised land. It's it's a physical thing, but we're living for a spiritual reality. And I love the faith of these guys. So we're talking about Pharisees that were potentially of a priestly lineage that didn't get it. And in here we see in the Old Testament, priests of a priestly lineage that absolutely got it and lived for a reality that was way beyond what it was that the promised land was. And it says that Israel, even though they were in the promised land, never entered the rest. Well, these guys were in rest in the middle of an attack by Nebuchadnezzar. And I just, I just read that and I go, and you know what, what I, what I love as a result of this? And it's not a, it's not the be all and end all, but they receive a massive promise from God. So the whole, the, the, God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, 
he says, why can't my people be like the Rechabites who have heard a word and followed it? But my people aren't like this. They've heard words from the prophets and people and haven't followed it. And he says, but I have a promise for the Rechabites. They shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. And it's like, what a promise from God. They're like, he's like, because of your faithfulness, you will always have a man stand before me forever as long as there are people. And it just reminds me of what you're saying, Chris. You know, like you just see the, the seed or the lineage of faith throughout so many, yeah. you know, it, it demonstrated by so many people, you know, because it just it instantly reminds me of Hebrews. You know, it talks about Abraham. It says, by faith, he lived as an alien yeah, in the yeah. land of promise, you know. He received his physical inheritance through his faith, but even that promise was a you know, a foreshadowing of an even greater promise. And so he lived as an alien physically in the land in hope of the city, which he says whose foundations are are in God, you know. And I think it's just the whole thing's wrought with this tension of spirit and flesh and God's intent from the beginning and coming to a place of absolute rest and seeing it from his perspective which can create actually a bit of real tension within us of going, there always has been the spiritual lineage and there always has been people who have accessed it because they're of a kind. And we're back to Romans about some were created for mercy and some were created for wrath. And we don't like that because that separates. But, in him, you have to see what that is because, and you, you said it before, what about, but God wants no one to perish. But what about I've created some for wrath and some for mercy? So how do you hold those two scriptures in tension and find the truth? Because they're both true, but actually there's a greater truth behind both of them when you put both of them together. And are we comfortable in seeing the fact that Isaiah said, they're never going to perceive well, how fair is that? Well, who decides what fair is? And I think you can spend your whole life trying to figure that out or you can get on board with you're chosen for mercy and being thankful and praise him for being chosen for mercy and discover what that really is in him and not let that mystery derail you, but let it take you into his presence to become and go, hey, you know what? I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to worry about if I'm living as a child of God, I'm actually going to be spending more time not worrying about when he's going to return, but I'm going to more worry about am I actually ready? You know, and it's the subtleness of taking the onus off us rather than upon us and be more concerned about being my, my own growth. That's how you justify yourself out of your own growth. Well, then you're never going to have great faith if you do that, you know. And so it's, you see this dimension that Christ was with them all from start to finish, even though he physically manifest, he was with them in the wilderness. They drank from the spiritual rock was who? Christ. Okay, So they never entered into a reality because they were never going to. They weren't actually destined to, but others were. Who are the sons of Zadok? Who are they compared to the other priests? Where's this? Ezekiel? Ezekiel? What's this? And, you know, if you're listening, tune in to Sunday nights because we're unpacking this. So you can see this kind of people that have always been Christ's from the beginning. 
And that's what we're talking about, who are living for something greater, a city, because it's they're living for the age to come, you know? And yet, and so we've got to go, we are these people. If we're in Christ, if, if we are these people, we're a kind of people that are to be Christ-like, one with him and one another. And so it's like, I'm of the seed of Abraham. What does that mean? And what does it mean to truly be a son, a child of promise? And um, I just maybe, Sam, could you read Romans four thirteen to 16? And then what I'll do, guys, I'll just read Galatians because rather than read the whole thing, I just want to pull bits out um, of verses. But they're saying almost the same thing. But it's such a powerful declaration because, once again, this this woman, she knew she was of this kind of people I'm talking about, you know. Rahab, she's a woman of faith. What was Rahab? Uh, was she? She was a prostitute. Yeah. Prostitutes, part of the kingdom, child of promise. What are we talking about? Well, is she any different to Luke 7, the lady there that came and poured the alabaster vial? And I thought you had to be a Pharisee to be, you know, well, you had to be a religious. And so these people, they're all testimonies, eh? Their lives are testimonies, their lives, not, oh, the day Jesus came to my life. Their entire life is a testimony. Well, is mine? Is my life a testimony to great faith? You know, not for even for myself, for you guys, yeah. like you said before. Am I living for you guys because I'm in great faith, not me? Do I, do I see you greater than my natural family and I'm prepared to lay my life down for you than my natural family? Hoping my natural family, who are ho- hope are spiritual, will do the same. So there's not a gap between you and them. But what if there is? Are you number one? Are they number two? What are you talking about, Greg? Well, great faith. How do you see it? You know, didn't that's what Jesus said? You're not my brother. You're not my mother. It's those guys over there, and you don't even know who they are. Great faith. So this is this challenge. This, do you want to, Sam, just um, the Romans uh, 4, 13 to 16. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that the world would be, um, oh, sorry, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also there also is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It's a powerful way. And I'll just read out Galatians, and then we can maybe have a chat. But So Galatians 3, verse 3, and I would... When you've got your own time, read and type you know, Galatians 3. But Galatians 3, 3 says this, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Then it goes on in verse 7, Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Mm. 
saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Don't you like the scripture foreseeing? The scriptures are prophetic. They foretell of a reality that is in Christ, the age to come. Do we have great faith? This is what we're going to look at in the big picture on Sunday mornings and nights, is that the scriptures foretell the age to come, the age we're to be living from, because the age to come is to define this age now for us. Isn't that what they were? Great faith. They saw the city. They left because they saw and their lives were defined by not this earth, but the earth they saw, the age to come. And he goes on. I'm just going to read these couple of bits in um, 16 to 18. Uh, now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, spoken to Abraham and to his seed. We're speaking of them today. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. And the last thing is verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Tell me this lady doesn't know she's of Abraham. Read that. I want to read Romans uh, that verse 16 again. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. <laughs> it's beautiful. And you can see, like, he, it's interesting that he doesn't say it's not to those of the law. It's only, you know, like he, he honors what God has put in place for a time. And in, even in Galatians, just before the verse that you're talking about, he says that, you know, like the law has been put in place ultimately as a tutor to lead and to point to it's a shadow and, you know, for what was ultimately the fulfillment, not the doing away of it, but the, the law that would ultimately be written on and engraved on our hearts. Eh? Yeah. And I love this. Just reading on a little bit further from there, there's this passage. I was thinking about this this week, actually. I wondered if it would come up. And, and it's it's an aspect of faith that says, um, in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, yeah. as though they already did. He's living in that that thing that you don't see. It's a done thing. And that's the beauty, isn't it? It's like, you know, Abraham, God says you will have child. Yeah. And it says in accordance to the promise, he didn't waver in unbelief, even though he looked at his physical body yeah. and went, how's that going to happen? And we know Sarah laughed <laughs> and went, oh, whatever, you know, got found out. But it even says in Romans that even Sarah was of faith yeah. for that to happen as well, you know. So you see that you see the, the beauty of that. You know what I mean? And then coming to. So when it's spoken, you might actually go whatever. And then you actually 
end up coming into the reality you're called to come into because you were chosen of that seed. And it's this reality of, once again, knowing him, knowing who you are, and living from, not toward. Too much of Christianity is about living towards a reality, not from a reality. Why? Because we're actually lacking faith. We 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 struggle to hear a word not for action but for formation. Yeah. Living from just remind me again of that word sent, you know, living from it's being sent from. Um and that sense is the Ecclesiastes, you know, it's the church, is that as a people again we are to be sent and live from faith, you know, birthed from um, and, and sent into. Um, yeah, it's, again, it's it's that faith that sends us out, you know, and being of that kind of faith is what actually makes the true Abra- uh, the true um, church, the seed of Abraham, you know, of the same same kind, yeah. I was just thinking about that parable where, where Jesus says that there were, two men, oh, I forget whether they were someone's sons or two men that were sent to go and work in the vineyard and one goes, nah, and then goes and does it and then there's one that goes, yeah, and doesn't. And he goes, ultimately, who is the one that did the father's or the master's will? And it was Abraham and Sarah who were like, nah, but yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And That's Paul right. was, was that, nah, but yeah. And so as you're talking about this formation where this work takes place in us and what we're God who caused those things that aren't as though they are, that's happening in us. Yeah. That's right. I'll, I'll, I'll make a nation of those people that weren't a nation. You who were once foreigners, aliens, have now been made the family, the household of God. And that's why it's based on grace, right? It's his power. You know, it's, it's not human achievement, hey, you know? I just think of Abraham, you know, and you know, he's the father of faith, but there were, there were, you know, points along his journey where, you know, he's, he's given a promise and then he tries to manufacture it. He sleeps with, you know, his um, Sarah's maid, you know, but even that didn't disqualify him out of the promise that was spoken before that even happened, yeah, you know, yeah, and to, and to me that's that's the beauty of God's choosing in the in the gospel way. That's so much bigger than us getting it right or getting it wrong. It really is based on His His divine mercy, you know. Yes. That's it. The mercy that brings us back to mercy again, eh? Because it's like, in spite of what it is that I deserve, Your goodness is greater, and and based on His choice of us. You know, like when you realize you're chosen, okay? Now, the, the reality is you may not enter the fullness of what that is to be chosen, and that's where choice is, but you're chosen, marked. And so it's like, you know, it's like before the foundations of the earth, everything that starts in the spirit, even what we just read there, you know, it never started. The promise of faith you didn't throw it away because this other thing got introduced. No, I'm reintroducing back what was already my beginning. You know, you needed it because you went went slightly off skew, and now I've decided the time is. But it's still all that is right in me. You know, all that was in me. The law was spiritual. 
It's not wrong. You know, this instruction, this, this, this way to be in me was all right. None of it's wrong. Sometimes I think we hear the word law and we go, <gasps> you realize, no, no, no. It's like everything God has come from God. You know, the Jew didn't come up with the law. It was from him and everything from his, his spirit. But the challenge was, obviously, they weren't of spirit, you know. So people of spirit live as people of spirit, access the things in Christ, the spirit, the unseen one. And so why? Because I'm not resting my faith on man's wisdom. I'm not going to rest my ability on me to come into what we're talking about, to have great faith. That's that's the demonic way. You know, that's the wisdom that James talks about, which is demonic in nature. Um, I have to realize I don't have the capacity in my humanness to understand, comprehend, receive the word I need to be like this woman. Yeah. And until I fully grasp that and stop trying to understand in my mind, I'm never going to be like this woman, which means I'll never be able to live the life I'm called to live, which means by the time I get to the judgment seat, I'm scraping in because of what he has done, because he covered me, instead of receiving all that I could have because I never learnt while I was here. Yes, I didn't hear. I couldn't hear because I'm trying to understand in my mind. I was sharing with someone the other day and I was saying, you're talking about God's way being completely the opposite. I said, you know, our first mode of being, and you, you listen to people, they talk about understanding. Understanding, it's not. You need to know. Knowing creates understanding. That's what the scriptures say. Okay? But we go, no understanding, then I'll know. No. So if you try to understand in your mind first, you will never know. That is the pattern of the demonic. That is the pharisaical fleshly position. That's why when he turned up, although they had understanding that something was written here, the Messiah is coming, they didn't know the Messiah. They didn't have faith, did they? Because faith knows the unseen. And so it's a hearing that creates a knowing and through knowing, I now understand. And it's yeah. not knowing and. Sorry, it's knowing, understanding, living. It's all a position of oneness because the power, not my wisdom, brings me into oneness. Yeah. So when I'm trying to grasp it, I go understanding, knowing, hopefully I can live it. Mm. But I never can. Mm. Or I'll manufacture a physical, fleshly outworking, which will just create disillusion me, me frustration, me getting tired, and eventually I'll give up. Mm. You know, because I, I love this. It's like great faith. So everything that happened here was by faith. Yeah. Correct? Well, isn't that Hebrews eleven? By faith, by faith. That's what we've been talking about, by faith, by faith. Every work was done by faith, yes. which rests yes. on God's power, yes. not in my ability. So I need to know how to come into faith through power to me everything be done by faith that's and right. not by me. And that's why it has to be the beginning, how we've come into it, Correct. by faith and by the Spirit. Correct. And I think that's why Paul asked that, such a significant question that was important then that is so important still today when in Galatians 3 he says um, 
O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? The only, uh, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having, I love this, begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And it's, so it's that beginning, eh? That be, the word in the beginning, the beginning of the word in our lives and not hanging our lives now on what we can do and by works of flesh. And hearing by power. Mm. See, not hearing to understand. Yeah. yeah. So that's the challenge. It's like hearing in a way a word that creates a change on the inside, my heart. Not hearing words that I try to understand what Jesus did. And then living from there. They're very different realities. It's like, I feel like this is one of the things that God wants me to keep stressing. It's like there's the understanding in the mind and the understanding in the heart. And they are completely different. But then, so when we talk about the renewing of the mind from the spirit, that is is not even on the same planet as understanding in the mind. The true understanding of the mind is a renewing by the spirit of understanding in the heart. If you take the heart out, you have nothing. You have head knowledge. But that's what we do. You know, we remove the very thing that God wants to actually, you know, he says, you honor me with your lips and you remove your heart. Isaiah 29, 13. It says, so then your reverence for me is in tradition learnt by rote. So you're not a people of faith. They were supposed to be, weren't they? The chosen people. I've only come for the lost tribe of Israel, which, yes, was a spiritual people that we've talked about, but this physical people, and they were the ones that killed them. It's crazy, but it's it happened. And you realize, if I try to understand in the mind, I'm going the complete opposite way to God. And, it, and that's what we don't like, because it takes all of our strength out of it. See? Unless you come as weakness... My grace is sufficient for to do all this work in you. My power is sufficient to do everything I said I can do. So you've got to come in weakness. Well, I don't like coming in weakness. I know. That's the problem. So then you try to rest your faith on your ability, man's wisdom. And so when I speak, you'll never hear what I say because I only speak words that only the mature hear. 1 Corinthians 2, six. So 1 Corinthians 2.6 is being defined by 1 Corinthians 2.1-5. You won't hear anything because only the mature hear the true word because they've gone through the true process. So you'll never grow up in Christ. You'll always be a baby if you continue to try and understand in the mind first. And then say this, it'll drop from here to here. No, it won't because that's not the way it enters. I've never met one person that actually has gone from here to here and is living differently. They have a lot more information they can talk about they live differently physically, but not spiritually. They still can't love. They keep stuff. Okay, I keep a Sabbath here, or I do this here, or I don't do this here. But they can't love. They can't live out by faith. And you ask them, talked about what's in the unseen, and they haven't got a clue. But they have a lot of information they can talk to you about. But you know, because you hear the word, you go, that's just words. That's regurgitated words that you've learned through your mind that isn't changing the way you live, even though you might be doing things slightly different. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? You can manufacture 
physical works yeah. to look like the real thing. Yeah. But you will get found out when the real test turns up. What does it look like? It looks like stiff-necked and hard-hearted yep. when it's done in the flesh, right? That's the manifestation of that. And you see the people that were called to be the ambassadors of this kingdom faith, when they are found without faith, they have the physical version of faith, which is stiff-necked and hard-hearted because it didn't come from an eternal source. It came from an intellectual source where they had agreement and went, this is where we're going. But it wasn't faith that started from here. It was faith that started from here. Therefore, it turned into stubbornness. Unbelief, yeah. And, and yet the ultimate position is knowledge understanding living right it's it's all three and to me it's like someone who has revelation knowledge in in their heart and their mind has been renewed with what paul calls true spiritual understanding and lives from that place that that true that understanding is all of a sudden so much more powerful way you know and and all of a sudden the scriptures are so living and alive and you've got crystal clear clarity on yeah. what's written because you know the heart that it was written from you know and so it's not this what you're describing about not understanding in the mind first it's it's not this position of being naive or silly or it that the intellect is of no value. It's, it's it's not that it's of no value. It's just not the way to life, right? You know, and so it's not the source of understanding. That's the that's, that's right. the essence. Yeah. The mind is important. God loved the Lord your God, and He lists these things. And ultimately, the the heart and the mind are one. Everything is one in God, even though we're f- that's four, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, strength. Well, it's four things, but it's one. We are made up of three, but we're one. God is three, but he's one. And when you come into the, the way of oneness, I pray that you would be one, everything becomes so clear and simple. And then you can access and live by faith and have great faith because your life, you, you just start becoming like a son. You live as a son. You know, and Jesus says, don't love your father, your mother more than me. You're not worthy. You don't. Why? Not because you've tried, because you've accessed resource through great faith. You're in the way of God. So the church, who are to be aliens, who are to be sojourners, who are to be Christ-like, become that. And we live as that. We become the demonstration of Jesus on the earth. The manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated through the vehicle called the church. It's just the way of God. So we've got to go, I don't think we're in his way. I don't think the church is fully operating the way she's supposed to operate because she doesn't know the operating manual because she doesn't know the one of the manual. We're all to be this woman. You know, we're all of a kind. It's like the little toe is no different to the arm. You know, we're to function and flow as a body, knowing that people of great faith are cheering great people on of great faith because great faith is required to see cities in another realm that are unseen. Like, what do you mean? Cities in the future, Abraham saw. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And because he saw what he saw and received what he saw, he received the promises, he lived in accordance to the promise, the prophetic scriptures that foretell of an age to come that they wanted a better resurrection. Why? What? Why would you not accept your release? And why would you go to your death when you can be released? 
for a better resurrection, the one Paul said, I want to be part of the first resurrection, what on earth would you do that for? Because you're a person of great faith. You know this is not what it's about. This is important, but it's not what it's about. And when I get defined by that realm and the unseen, now how does the church start to look? Live, yeah. act, be, become. That's the, that's the reverse engineering where it they've is. seen it and they've just gone, yes, that way. Yeah, <laughs> This is it. Now how do I get from this finished work? What What's the gap in between going to look like? Hey? We need to write that word down. I need to reverse engineering. There's, there's so much gold in that. Because that's what it that absolutely is. It's exactly what it is. And the whole thing is based around look at the mirror at yourself, but we're all looking at everyone else. So we're not getting what we're supposed to get. Because that's selfish. No, it's not. It's selfless. If you honestly go, I'm going to be a follower that looks in the mirror, and every single follower had that. It's about me. It starts here first. Yep. It's all about me and God. Then we will be what he said we'll be. Because I'm never going to be who I says I'm going to be while looking at you and making it about you. I can never lay my life down for you while I make it about you. I hope we can hear what I'm saying. That's Christianity 101, isn't it? Don't look at the blank in your brother's eye. Well, let's go into the world and change the world. There we go. So are you in both aspects of those truths, like this woman was through great faith, and know how to live both of those out in an alignment and oneness? And if you can't, you won't. And our natural is always going to be about going to the world, not looking the plank of my own eye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my flesh can't look at the plank of my own eye. It'll look about trying to change you. Yeah. You've got a plank in your eye. Yeah. And so that's reverse engineering. I love those words, mate, because that is the goal. Mm. No, that's selfish. That's what people said to me. No, that's selfish. No, it's not. If I'm looking, if it's all about me, then what does Jesus want to do? Build his son in me. Me doesn't exist. I am no longer, Paul said. I gets crucified. When it is about my transformation, I no longer lives. Isn't that what Paul said? So then the life I live, that's right, I can't be selfish because I is no longer there. It's impossible for me to be selfish when I has been crucified. So the life I now live in the flesh, I live by Faith in the person. Yeah. Hey, I look like her. Yeah. Funny that. Otherwise, what are we? What are we winning other people to? You know, like <laughs> ourselves. That's right. That's right. I was just um, thinking about the woman that broke the alabaster uh, jar over Jesus, and um, you know how how important it is. Like this uh, Syrophoenician woman who who saw who God was, who saw who she was and live from that, you know, because it says that this um, this woman that broke the alabaster jar, she loved much because she had been forgiven much. And, and if we truly believe that God is as good as he says he is and that we hear he is, then we've got to believe that he is the our greatest champion, the lover of our souls, that we can come to him as we are, be set free, be healed, be made clean, be accepted. And from the true reality of that, there, there comes a loving much. And, and, and that's what this is, a loving much. You know, when we are in love, everything changes. 
I heard this quote this morning, and it's um, it wasn't from the Bible, so I hope you'll all forgive me. <laughs> it says it's from, but it's from Plato. It says that that at the touch of love, everyone becomes a poet. And I'm like, man, when that is so powerful. When I heard that, I was like, that is so powerful because when love absolutely touches you, you're changed. Think about what it's like when you meet your your spouse or. You know what I mean? And you're genuinely in love and this touch happens. You're a new person. And we're talking about love. Love, yeah. Not, you know, not a human love, That's right. but love. You know, it says Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace to those who have loved with an indestructible, indestructible, indescribable love. Let me read this. This is incredible. And we know what, what, what is Ephesians all about, you know, the eternal purpose. Incorruptible love. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus with incorruptible love, who love the Lord Jesus, not who Jesus loves, who love the Lord Jesus. Well, you can't love the Lord Jesus with incorruptible love, his love, yeah. unless you've received his love. So when you receive his love, you no longer live. You're controlled by that love, Paul said, and that's when it. That's and only then does it come about other people, because it's his love in you that makes it about other people that enables you to lay down your life for other people. See, it's the reverse engineering. I love those words, mate. That's really put two words have encapsulated so much. Um, and yet, this is the this is the church. This is you know this is. The problem is we've been brought up on institutionalism. We've been brought up on man's ways, man's systems, man's techniques, um, and we're so fleshly that all we know is the flesh. So we think it's about singing songs. We think it's about messages. You know, we, we don't really do that much with one message, but we demand another message, and we demand another message, and then we demand, but we're not really doing with anything that we received last year or five years ago. Because the system demands feeding. Yeah. The system demands us to be fed. Our flesh demands feeding. And yet you we want to give it this true mana, this true food. And it goes, what's that? I don't want that. I don't want to have to find it, search for it, yeah. seek it. But it's concealed from you. Yeah. The true food is an eternal food in an unseen realm. You just want natural food. So you can continue to live a natural life. But that's not who the church has been called to be. We've been called to be aliens, strangers, exiles, a people set apart, but a people who relate. Not wacky people, a people who can demonstrate. Our lives are to be the testimony of Jesus Christ for this world, meaning my wife, my children, you, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what I mean when I say the world, and then non-Christians, you know. But it requires much. And and as we've been looking at, this is, a, this is a hearing that is not just naturally hearing. This is a hearing that's of the Spirit. This is a hearing that the disciples for three and a half years didn't have, you know. But Jesus prophesied over them continuously. He, he, he spoke words of life. He said, friend when they didn't act as friends. Hey, covenant partner, you're going to deny me. 
but it's okay because you're going to be the fulfillment of what I've spoken. But right now, you're not acting like a friend. Right now, you're actually acting like my enemy because he says my enemies will be my, that my household will be my closest, will be the enemy. But I'm loving on you, hoping that that's going to change because this is what I've called you to be. But can you hear it? Hear what? Why can't I go with you? No, that's not what I said. I said, love these guys like I love you. Why can't I go with you? Sam, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Why are you asking me about why you can come with me when I've actually spoken to you, given you a command to love? Because you can't hear the word. All you're interested in is action and function because that's the seed you're still of, even though you've been called to be of the seed of Abraham and be like this woman who's actually a dog who you actually tell to go away. She's in something you're not, Peter. And she ain't walking with me. You are. This is phenomenal, isn't it? It can be right in your face and you're completely missing it. And someone who's not living, breathing, walking with you, who meets you for the first time and never sees you again, is in what you're in. She's in what Christ is in. And in in regards to that, she still turns up and worships. You know, it says that she yeah. worshipped him saying, Lord, have mercy on me, yeah. you know. Yeah. And and I just That's go, so. well, when was the last time she was in a temple? When did she When did she sing any songs? You know what I mean? She didn't. This is this is so revolutionary that she turned up, and in the face of adversity, worshipped him. That doesn't really fit our worship box that well. You know what I mean? Like I I know that I've sung some songs in some hard times, but God's never turned around and gone. I wasn't sent for you in the process of that, and I've still laid hold of you know. And this is what she does. Yeah. It, it's it's just. It describes worship as being something completely different, spirit and truth. And you don't, you know, like just you're talking, it's like, you know, like how did she come to know what she knew? We don't know. Maybe someone who's a nobody shared, heard, power, baptized, alive. Doesn't need to be around an institutional model. Doesn't need stuff. Has him. Knows. Lives. Never needs him in the sense of, you know, this is it. One encounter. Boom. Gone. But lives the life because she has him. She has him. In. You know? It's not, I'm not here. In. So the unseen one is in the... You can't see it, but now he's in. She's in Christ. She's in the promise of Abraham. Not with it. In it. So she lives... She's, li- she's living this life when she turns up. And her life's the evidence of that. Correct. You know, she's a she's a testimony. She's a typology, and what amazes me, and we talked about the woman at the well, John four. You know, she's the opposite to that woman, but that woman in John four has the potential to be that woman yeah, yeah. because Jesus went to her. Yeah. She's gone to where he is. Jesus went to where she was yeah. in John four. And you love that? That's the heart of the Father. I'm coming to you because I see something in you that you don't yet see in you. I'm going to speak to you, and I'm going to hope and pray you hear me, but you don't because I'm talking about living water. And if you knew who I was, you would ask me. But I'm asking you because you don't know who I am in the hope that you would then ask me. Reverse engineering. Again, here we are again, you know. 
but she does have some knowledge, informational knowledge about a person called the Messiah, but she does not know who he is when he stands in front of her. Otherwise, she would have asked. That's right. And he then says to her, you worship what you don't know. Even that is the evidence of him, him telling her, you don't know me. You worship what you don't know. True worshipers, this is how they worship. Now, lady, you're not in the spirit because if you'd known who I was, you'd be in the spirit. But you're not yet, but I'm here to bring you into the spirit. Okay? But there's an issue. The issue of the heart, the true place of understanding. You have something in your heart today, and I want to set you free of it. Go get them. <laughs> now, the cool thing about that lady is she doesn't do what the rich young ruler did. If we don't know whether she got her we don't know actually whether she went and got her husband, though. She went and told the the city about a people the guy she may be not sure even though he said it because she's not in the spirit yet so she can't worship in the spirit. But the cool thing about that story and that's the highlight is she didn't run away. There's a potential for her to come into a reality that Jesus came to bring her into that day, and it's the same today right now. You know what we've said, everything we've said. If we're not in this. In as much as we need to be, or maybe it's the first time we're hearing this and going, oh my goodness, I realize that, you know, I trust you, Lord, but I'm not in faith, you know, I, or the measure I have is I just know that you're real. That's cool, but it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Every day is an opportunity. Every second, like now, what are we going to do now? Are we going to get on our knees and pray? Are we going to spend time in the Word or is it lunchtime? Is our day just going to continue on as normal and we're going to be none less the wiser? We've had a great conversation, but no more in faith. You know, and <clears throat> God's outside of time. We know that, but we're not. And we only get so much time, even though He's outside of time. And with our time, are we using it wisely? Do we value who we've been called to be, not for ourselves, but for Him and others? You know, and you're in that. Who's the benefactor of that? We are. We all get to experience a life that's now, but also in the age to come. Yeah, you know, what is what what is that? I, I can't wait to unpack this stuff. And we've been unpacking it, but in the way we're going to do it, you know, those who have left their family and their farms in this life will receive a hundred times more, and in the life to come. Godliness is not just for this life, but the age to What is he talking about? Well, people of great faith know. And so let's be a people of great faith. Any last thoughts or who wants to pray? One of you guys. Yeah, go, man. Father, I just want to thank you for the food that literally feels like it's falling from heaven. Um, and Father, I just want to thank you for thank you. just your absolute faithfulness um, to, to come and feed us and nurture our souls and our hearts with this living manna. Um, Father, I thank you that your plans and purposes for us are just more than I could even have imagined or hoped for, um, but you had it in your heart before we were even born. Um, so Father, I just, just thank you for what you're, you're sharing, what it is that you're doing. I, I thank you for what it is that your Holy Spirit has brought to light this morning.
Father, I just pray for for me and for us and for our, our family, Father, and I pray that we would like this woman um, see with spiritual eyes and lay hold of what we've been laid hold of for. Um, Father, I pray that we would that we would lean forward into, we would violently lay hold of this kingdom life that we've heard about. Um, Father, I pray that we would spend every breath and every waking moment that we have Father, pursuing and laying hold of, um, you, Father, the, the, this unseen eternal realm that you have for us. Um, so, Father, I just pray that you'd continue to speak to us. Father, if there's questions that we have, Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is the teacher and is just there willing to, to bring clarity and understanding, Father, of the things that you've implanted into our hearts. Um, so thank you for who you are, what it is that you're doing. And may your word have its perfect work within us, making us perfect and complete. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, have an awesome day, everyone. Um, I would encourage you to once again just go over that time again and allow the words spoken to hear it. So, you know, when you're driving around, anytime you've got a moment, just allow the word to wash over you of what's been shared. So thanks, guys, again. Have an awesome afternoon. And uh, depending on decisions, we may be here again next week or we may be meeting as normal. But uh, anyway, have a great day. Thanks.